Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's your buddy AJ from the Y-Files. Hey, Hecklefish. Right, and Hecklefish. We just wanted to tell you that if you want to start a podcast, Spotify makes it easy. It'd have to be easy for humans to understand it. Will you stop that? I'm just saying... Spotify for podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts from your computer. I don't have a computer. Do you have a phone? Of course I have a phone. I'm not a savage. Well, with Spotify, you can record podcasts from your phone, too. Spotify makes it easy to distribute your podcast to every platform, and you can even earn money. I do need money. What do you need money for? You're kidding? I'm getting killed on Guppy support payments. These 3X wives are expensive. But you don't want to support your kids? What are you, my wife's lawyer now? Never mind. And I don't know if you noticed, but all Wi-Fi's episodes are video, too. And there's a ton of other features, but... But we you... can't be here all day. Will you settle down? I need you to hurry up with this stupid commercial. I got a packed calendar today. I'm sorry about him. <sniffs> anyway, check out Spotify for Podcasters. It's free, no catch, and you can start today. Are we done? We're done, but you need to check your attitude. Excuse me, but I don't have all day to sit here and talk about Spotify. Look, this would go a lot faster if, if you would just let me get through it without... In December 1984, Ken Webster, a high school teacher, was living with his friend Nick and girlfriend Debbie in the small village of Dodleston. One evening, the three were walking home from the local pub when they saw a pulsing green light emanating from their cottage windows. When they got inside, they saw something that terrified them. Though their computer wasn't connected to any network and everyone in the house was gone all night, a strange message was written on the screen, a message addressed to them by name. Over the next few months, more messages appeared, and eventually Ken and his friends began corresponding with the person on the other side. At first, Ken thinks this is a hoax or a prank, but over time, he comes to believe that not only are the messages real, they're being written by someone living in the very same house in the year 1541. Let's find out why. As written in Ken Webster's book, The Vertical Plane, strange things started happening as soon as they moved into Meadow Cottage at Dodleston near the border of England and Wales. One day, Ken noticed that small, six-toed footprints seemed to walk directly up the wall and through the ceiling. It's a very old house, so he thought they were just little stains, so he painted over them. But the next day, the footprints were back, on top of new paint. After that, Ken, Nick, and Debbie would routinely see bottles, cans, and boxes stacked in towers, sometimes over four feet tall. They assumed that friends in the village were playing pranks, but nobody came forward. Two months after the first message appeared, Ken, Debbie, and Nick returned home from a day trip and found a new file had been saved on the BBC computer. The file name was R-E-A-T-E. They opened it. What strange words thou speak, although I must confess that I hath also been ill-schooled. Thou art goodly man who hath fanciful woman who dwell in mine home. Tis a fitting place, with lights which devil maketh, and costly things, that only mine friend Edmund Gray can afford, or the king himself. Now this was not the way people spoke in the 80s, but there was more. Twas a great crime to hath bribed mine house. L.W. Ken printed the message and brought it to school, where most people thought it was entertaining and nonsense. 
but not Peter Trinder. Trinder was a literature teacher who was convinced it was written in Old English. They interpreted the phrase devil lights to mean the computer. And Peter Trinder asked Ken to let him know if any more messages appeared so he can try and determine the location and the time period of the dialect. A few days went by with nothing, but then Ken had an idea. He wondered if, since he was able to receive messages, could he also send them? So he sat down on the computer and began to type. Now at this point in the story, Ken is still not convinced that this isn't a hoax, but he admits that he's intrigued, so he plays along. He sits at the computer and types question after question, trying to get information about who this is that could be sending messages from wherever they're coming from. Dear LW, thank you for your message. We're sorry for disturbing you. What would you like us to do? Did you live on a house on this land about 1620? Do you want us to tell you more about our time? Who is Edmund Gray? Do you have a family? Is the King James or Charles? What is the charge house? Was this village called Doddleston in your life? Thank you very much for your messages. Thank you for not making us afraid. Ken, Debbie and John. They save the messages to disk, then leave the computer on and head out to the Red Lion pub. And the hope is that if they leave the computer alone for a while, that it would prompt a reply. And that's exactly what happened. When they returned home a few hours later, a new message was waiting for them. "'Twas an honest farm of oak and stone. It is helpful that you should tell me about thy time. Dost thou have horse? Edmund Gray, brother of John Gray, lives at Kinnerton Hall." Thy king, of course, is Henry VIII, who is six and forty. I know what of King James. Mine charge house is a place of law, schooling. L.W. The 28th of March, Anno, 1521. This was a troubling reply in more ways than one. First, the facts about the history of this time were wrong. In 1521, Henry VIII was only 30 years old, not 46. But to be sure, Ken delivered the message to Peter Trinder for analysis, and Trinder confirmed that the historical facts were all wrong. Kinnerton Hall wouldn't be built for another 200 years, and there's no mention of Edmund or John Gray in any record or document. And Ken was troubled by the use of modern grammar and punctuation, like question marks, which wouldn't have been used in the 16th century. So that left the other possibility, that there was an intruder in the house. And this had Ken, Debbie, and it concerned. But that weekend, Ken borrowed the BBC computer once again to see if more messages would come. Did they get more messages? They did. They received a whole bunch of details about the house, the village, the time. And most importantly, instead of being signed by the mysterious LW, they were signed with the author's full name. In the next message, the author gave all kinds of details about his life. He talked about losing his wife and son to the plague. He talks about how he harvests barley for ale and makes his own cheese. He describes the house as humble, made of red stone, and sitting on a pretty parcel of land. Now, Meadow Cottage, where Ken, Nick, and Debbie were living, was not made of red stone. But they were doing renovations. When they dug up some of the land in the garden and looked under the kitchen, they discovered the foundation of another structure, much, much older than theirs. Tell me they found red stone! And the foundation was indeed made of red sandstone. Ah. Now, these latest messages also had a different tone. The author seemed to think that Ken was intruding on his house and had his own concerns about this conversation. He finally signed the message Lucas, and eventually we learned that LW's full name is Lucas Wayman. Ken now had a lot of details that could be checked for accuracy. 
So he delivered them to Peter Trinder to see what he can find. And Trinder felt that the dialect, sentence structure, and intermittent use of Latin placed the messages in the middle of the 16th century in the Cheshire area, which is exactly where Lucas Wayman said he was living. Also, as time went on, the historical facts became more consistent and accurate. And Lucas writes that King Henry VIII is married to Catherine Parr, so that put him in the 1540s, which is pretty consistent with a lot of the other details. But the names Lucas mentioned, like Richard Wishel and others, couldn't be found. So this is a hoax? Well, not necessarily. It was a hoax you'd think that the messages would be full of names and facts that could be easily checked. But Lucas was a simple rural farmer. He'd really only have knowledge of the king and people in his village. A tiny hamlet like Dodleston wouldn't keep detailed records of every individual living there. Now, Lucas doesn't know where Ken is, but eventually Ken reveals that he's actually writing from the year 1985, and that's where the story takes a turn. You said your time be 1985. Me thought you were also from 2109? like your friend. What the? 2109? What friend? It would appear that whatever phenomenon that Ken Webster encountered that allowed communication to the past was also a conduit for communication to the future. As more texts came in and as more of the information was researched by Peter Trinder, Ken was believing less that this was a hoax. The responses were coming too fast for someone to be breaking in and leaving files on his computer. And Ken and Debbie was starting to believe that they were somehow communicating with a real man. A man who lived 400 years ago on the same piece of land where Ken was living now. But who were the people from 2109? Lucas didn't seem to know. Lucas thought they were friends of Ken's. So Ken did the obvious thing. He asked. Calling 2109. And then came a response. Ken, Deb, Peter, we are sorry that we can give you only two choices. One, that you either have your predicament explained in such a way that you have instant understanding, but cause what should not happen. Or, two, try to understand that you three have a purpose that shall, in your lifetime, changes the face of history. We, 2109, must not affect your thoughts directly but give you some sort of guidance that will allow room for your own destiny. All we can say is that we are all part of the same God. Whatever he or whatever it is. Apparently Ken's computer had opened two-way communication not only with the past, but with the future as well. And according to 2109, this communication had purpose, though we don't yet know what that purpose is. Meanwhile, Meadow Cottage was experiencing more and more events that seemed to be a poltergeist. Footsteps were heard at all hours of the night, but when they were investigated, nothing was there except footprints. Sections of the house would become so cold that breath was visible. More objects were found stacked in corners of rooms. Tapping was heard. Even words were found written in chalk around the house, including Lucas's name. The anxiety was becoming too much. Deb had rented another house nearby so they could occasionally get some sleep, and Nick, who'd been with them since the beginning, had moved out. Deb tried to find some explanation for what was happening and pulled some maps of the area. She learned that a ley line was running... Wait, 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 wait. What's a ley line? Well, a ley line is an alignment drawn between two structures that supposedly possess or can harness energy. Stonehenge, the Great Pyramids, Chichen Itza, and other significant structures are built on ley lines. Was your cottage built on a ley line? It was. And after discovering this... Deb started having visions and vivid dreams about Lucas, even interacting with him like he was trying to communicate further. It's at this point that Ken and Deb bring in help, the Society of Psychical Research. They called in the heavies? They did. 
and the SPR sent two researchers to Meadow Cottage, and the plan was either to debunk or prove the phenomenon once and for all. The Society for Psychical Research, or SPR, had been investigating the paranormal since 1882, and they're still around today. OG ghost hunters. They are. And two investigators, David Welch and John Bucknell from the SPR, arrived and proposed a test. They would send 10 questions to 2109 and then delete them. But Ken and Deb would have no idea what the questions were. Ken and Deb were then separated from the computer while they waited for a reply. And a few days later... David, John... David, you interfere with communication. Next time you decide to perform your little experiment, you must be clear from here. We suggest you try someone else to sit with Debbie. Yes, we are what you would call a tachyon universe, but your understanding is incorrect. We ask nothing more of you than to carry on as you would prefer. We will have John present if given choice or you may bring another as mentioned. No, it is no concern to us that this is not proved. We will give you a plotting of a star next time. We move at a speed so that we cover every point in your time and universe. We have no form. We feed of a heat energy that you will not have heard of. 2109 David Welch said that 2109 didn't answer the questions, but had picked up all the questions in the right order. And Ken and Deb thought this would prove that they were not perpetrating a hoax. The SPR investigators weren't so sure. They speculated that maybe sensitive microphones could have been planted to let them know the questions in advance. They spoke the questions out loud? No, they didn't. But the investigators thought that maybe a microphone could pick up the sounds of the keys being pressed and that Ken would be able to deduce what they were typing. It sounds like a stretch to me. It does, but for something like this, it's best to eliminate every possibility. The SPR investigators left and Ken looked for more ways to convince them that what was happening was real. Frank Davis, another teacher at Ken's school, agreed to come over as a witness. When he arrived at the study where the computer was set up, He reported that the room became extremely cold for two or three minutes before returning to normal. They all went into the kitchen for a while to talk, and when they came back to check the computer, a new message had arrived. But this time, it was from someone else. When Ken, Debbie, and Frank Davis checked the computer that evening, a new message was shown on the screen. And it wasn't from Lucas was from someone who called himself John, who was a friend of Lucas's. John said that the local sheriff had Lucas imprisoned for witchcraft and communicating with spirits. So for days, no new messages arrived, and Ken and Debbie attributed this to Lucas rotting in a prison cell somewhere. Meanwhile, Peter Trinder was still feverishly trying to decipher the past messages, and Trinder enlisted the help of a librarian at Brazenose College at Oxford. Now, Lucas claimed to have attended Brazenose and gave Ken a list of books to check to prove he was telling the truth. Now, after some time, the librarian confirmed that not only did every single book exist at the college, but they were all contemporary to the 1520s, exactly as Lucas described. Finally, Ken and Deb decided to take an aggressive approach. They demanded that word be taken to the sheriff that Lucas be freed or they would use their power against him. That seemed to get the sheriff's attention, and Lucas was immediately freed. Now, sensing a new kinship, Ken asked Lucas if he was the one moving objects around the house. Lucas says it wasn't him, but the same thing was happening on his side. Both Ken and Lucas began to suspect that the poltergeist activity was being caused by the mysterious entity that they called 2109. So Lucas asked Ken to move the BBC computer to the kitchen, which 
on Lucas's side would let him communicate more privately. A 2109 had warned Ken and Lucas to not give each other details about their lives, but they were growing distrustful. Lucas then proposed an idea that sounded completely bizarre. He asked that a paper and pen be set next to the computer. Now, Ken didn't understand this, but he did as he was instructed. The next morning, next to the computer was a handwritten note. The writing was elegant and archaic, and the note was signed, Thomas. Early in their communications, Lucas, whose real name was Thomas, was reluctant to give his real name. He said that this was out of fear of being accused of witchcraft, which actually came to pass. But Thomas left clues about his full name in his letter. He said, you have my name in your book. It is also the name of Peter's house. Peter lived close by in a town called Harwoden, which was also the location of the school where Ken and Peter taught. Using this information, Ken and Peter were able to track down a man named Thomas Harwoden, who was a fellow at Brazenose College at Oxford in the 1530s. This was their guy, and Ken, Debbie, and Peter were getting very close to the truth and learning everything they could about Thomas Howarden. But the entity known as 2109 seemed to be upset by this. A few days later, the computer was moved into the bathroom on its own, and then Ken found a message scribbled in chalk on the floor. One more chance. Measure frequency by plus two energy. What else other than sound and light? This 2109 is freaking me out. I know. Ken, Deb, Peter, we have reason to believe you have Lucas Wainman's true name. If this is correct, you must say so, so we can rectify the problem immediately before it is accepted. She's touchy. Yeah, and Ken wanted to minimize his contact with 2109. After more communication with Thomas Hardin in the 16th century, Ken learned that 2109 was tampering with many of the earlier messages that Thomas, a.k.a. Lucas, had sent. Apparently, 2109 was trying to obscure details to prevent Ken from discovering Thomas's true identity, which is why some facts were wrong. Meanwhile, the Society for Psychical Research had lost interest in the case. They told a local paper, Clearly, if this case is a hoax, then the two teachers are the prime suspects. I believe it is also possible that a third party was responsible. I would have loved to prove it was genuine. It would have been the most unique phenomenon ever recorded. Something or someone is doing it. It was not the job of the SPR to point the finger. As Ken suspected, the SPR was extremely skeptical and wasn't taking the investigation seriously. So Ken contacted the SPR to obtain the records of the case. Strangely, the SPR said there is no record of such a case. Investigator John Bucknell had disappeared and nobody could reach him. And there was no record of anyone named David Welch affiliated with the SPR. As far as the SPR was concerned, none of this ever happened. And everyone connected to the case was gone. Apparently, 2109 was aware of Ken's frustration because a few days later, they contacted him. And this time, they gave him the name of someone to contact. No. And a phone number. When Ken sat down at the BBC computer, 2109 had left him a very specific message. We ask you to do the following. There is a brilliant researcher, ufologist. We know you don't like the word. His name is Gary M. Rowe. His ideas differ somewhat to yours, but nevertheless, he can help you with a couple of your problems. You may phone him at the number below and invite him to talk with you. When he comes, show him this and ask him what he makes of it. Peter must do the telephoning. Tell him that you got his telephone number from a UFO enthusiast. 2109. Gary Lowe was a UFO investigator who was skeptical, but he did come out to Meadow Cottage with all kinds of equipment to try and figure out what was going on. And this began a series of communication between Gary and 2109 directly. 
The process was this. Gary would put a letter in a sealed envelope and place it on top of the computer. When 2109 would respond, the message was printed and put into an envelope without Ken reading it. And this back and forth continued for some time when Gary finally sent the message back to 2109 that read, Greetings. I am instructed to apologize, but in any event, I would have done so of my volition. There will be a letter hopefully this weekend. I am also instructed to apologize to Ken and Debbie. I must try and answer your last letter. It would appear that you are more important than I had realized in the scheme of things, Gary. Apparently, something in one of the messages from 2109 had caused Gary to become very secretive about the communication and the contents of the letters. Ken became so frustrated and angry that Gary left that night. And they would never hear from Gary again. As Ken continued to communicate with Thomas, a.k.a. Lucas, Lucas explained that one night he saw glowing lights coming from his fireplace. From the light, a man stepped out and asked him to not be afraid. When the man left, Lucas found what he described as a light box in his kitchen. He realized that when he spoke to the light box, his words would appear on a screen in glowing green letters. And on March 21st, 1985, Lucas had sent his final message. My true fellows and sweet maid, Brona has said that Thomas must go. I know it is for the best because the people of Doddleston are very wary of me. It is good to know that all will change and there are true men to follow like Ken and Peter. Though 400 years is a long time and there is much to happen to mankind. Perhaps you will come to Oxford. Now I think there is no danger for me there, for I hear the king is very sick and all is quiet in the church. I shall go by boat from Cheshire to Bristol. I shall try to make my stay at Brace Nose. I will write my book about my brothers and maid and the end of Lucas and our love for one another. One day you will all sit down at my table for wine and mead by the river in Oxford, where we shall read each other's books and laugh and we shall speak of truth and good men, watching Oxford change together forevermore. In your time, my book is old, but I shall not go to my God until it is written. Then we will all be truly embraced. My love to you all. I shall await you in Oxford. Thomas Harden. Well, that was touching. I thought so. Did he ever write the book? Well, we have one final message from 2109. There is another person to come. They will be the help we need. You will know when they come. Thomas did eventually write his book, and he soon died shortly after. He placed it in a secure place. It shouldn't take too many years to find it, though he wrote it in Latin with the help of a friend that he met in Oxford. The inscription reads, Me writes this with the hope that mine friends will one day find this book. Then may our lands be not so distant. We will finish now. You have a lot of work to do. There is no need to write back as we will have gone. Thank you for your cooperation. 2109. And no more communication would follow. In all, Lucas and 2109 had sent over 300 messages to Ken and Debbie. And a few years later, Ken would document the story in his book, The Vertical Plane. The story would again be covered in 1996 in a BBC documentary called From Out of This World. And Ken and Debbie appeared on the program, but with their backs to the camera. They claimed that the messages were real 
and they held important information about our past and future. You can find Debbie online posting as recently as a few weeks before I recorded this, and she sounds reasonable, rational, and convinced. And while their story has many skeptics, Ken and Debbie insist that one day their story will be revealed to be the truth. I hope they're right. Wow, this is a good story. So how much of it is real? All of it? None of it? All of it? All of it! Well, here's what I've been able to dig up. Peter Trinder essentially worked as a translator of the messages. And the original script was so foreign sounding that he had to dig through years of the Oxford English Dictionary to decipher meanings of lots of the words. And Trinder said that this would be almost impossible to fake, especially for someone with no background in medieval languages. And Peter Trinder even went on camera with the BBC to say so. It was very real. That's all I'm saying, Richard. It was very close. The kind of thing that you could not doubt. But all the time one was aware of the possibility of hoax. But if it was a hoax, by golly, it was brilliant. And on the skeptical side, also from the same program, there's Dr. Laura Wright of Cambridge. Looking at the verb structure, there are things which Lucas says that would not have been said in 1546. It's true that individuals can make up individual words, but we don't make up our verbs. It's possible, or it was possible in England in 1546 to say, I do, thou dost, he, she, or it doth, he, she, or it does. But it wasn't possible to say, I doth, or he, she, or it dost. Now, all the way through um, Lucas's messages, he mixes and messes up these suffixes with the wrong subject. Finally, when asked if she thought it was a hoax by someone with a background in early English writing... No, if somebody had a background in early modern English writing, they would do a, they would, their hoax would look a lot better than this. I mean, they would get their verbal inflections correct. They wouldn't choose vocabulary that came from a period long before the period that this is supposed to have been written in. Um, they'd do it a lot better. Also, a sample of Ken's writing was run through software and compared against Lucas's messages. The result was that both sets of writing tested close enough with the software that they were possibly composed by the same author. Now, Ken said that 300 words isn't nearly large enough of a sample and that the BBC specifically chose passages that they were sure would give them the results they hoped for. Media always has an agenda. That's true. Now, Ken and Debbie's roommate showed up in a forum a few years ago saying that Meadow Cottage was actually a peaceful place and that he never experienced any of the phenomena that Ken did. So Ken's lying? Well, John doesn't go that far. He said Ken was a serious person and wouldn't want to open himself up to ridicule by writing a book that would make him out to be a loon. Another rumor, which I read online, I don't know if it's true, is that when the librarian was researching the books on Lucas's list, it's been reported that someone else was there also researching the same books. Aww. That's just what I read on a blog post. I'm not judging. I'm just reporting. But here's something interesting. In the book, which was published in 1989, Entity 2109 says that in Ken's lifetime, Fermat's last theorem would be solved. Pierre de Fermat proposed a mathematical theorem in 1637, and it was studied by mathematicians for over 350 years and couldn't be solved. Well, in 1995, Andrew Wiles published the first successful proof of Fermat's last theorem, a proof that earned Wiles the Abel Prize. 2109 was right! They were. And that's an obscure detail for a hoaxer to just come up with, and it's a hell of a gamble. Also, 2109 gave the coordinates of an undiscovered star that they said would be important to mankind. And years later, a quasar was found at those coordinates. And Lucas talks about being imprisoned by a Sheriff Thomas Fowlhurst of Cheshire. 
Now, there's no record of this man, but I did some sleuthing, and it turns out that there absolutely was a Sir Thomas Falhurst with a slightly different spelling but same pronunciation, who was Sheriff of Cheshire in 1529, which is awfully close to the right time. Hey, do you ever find that UFO guy? Ah, Gary Rowe. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Though UFO researcher Gary Rowe disappeared for years, he's since spoken out about the Donaldson messages. In the description, I'll link to a blog post from as recently as 2017 where Gary has all kinds of things to say. He believes every word of it. He thinks he was chosen to receive this information from 2109 because the information is safe with him. Many people are highly skeptical about the events related in the Vertical Plane book. Quite rightly so, given the degree of strangeness. But, I am not. I left no stone unturned and used cutting-edge science to get to the truth. In fact I believe it was the first computer-controlled psychic investigation recorded in the world. I know it really happened. It changed my life forever, it is going to change yours. The book will, one day, be ISBN recorded under the history section. It is a monumental, historical marker, in the ribbon of time. Is he right? I guess time will tell. I don't know if the Dodleston messages story can be debunked, but it can certainly be contested. But I have to admit, a lot of the story can be confirmed. Now, Ken and Debbie haven't cashed in, and they seem to be very nice, intelligent, reasonable people. And after the BBC program, they sought no further publicity about the story, even knowing how many books they can sell. And Ken said back then, now, just over 10 years after our own adventures... The sad but good advice seems to be to keep quiet about it. Meadow Cottage was important to us. It is sufficient. And although Debbie can be found online, Ken prefers privacy, and I think we should respect that. All we can hope for is that one day, buried under the dusty, faded stacks in the Brazenose Library at Oxford, someone will discover a mysterious book, handwritten in Latin, a book that tells a fantastic tale of a relationship between people across time. People, though initially fearful and skeptical of one another, establish a friendship that would change all their lives. And this book, when finally discovered, will change everyone's life, everywhere, forever. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. My name is AJ, that's Hecklefish. This has been The Y Files. If you had fun or learned anything, do me a favor and like, subscribe, comment, and share. All that stuff really helps. Just trying to solve the YouTube algorithms like trying to communicate with 2109 using a word processor, but... With your help, we can defeat it. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.